BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Confidentially, ain't she sweet? The rest with engines. Oh, we're on the air. Oh, good evening, friends. How are you? Poor fools. And a tiny figure, tattered and torn, mounts the dusty podium. A light purple glow spot plays upon his hallowed head. He raises his hand. You'll notice that he is carrying a worn fielder's mitt, tattered and torn. He mounts the podium and is about to commence another long tiration, another baying at the past receding moon. <laughs> hey, that's poetic, isn't it? <laughs> oh, you ain't heard nothing yet. Nothing. I'll award the brass picnic. Boss, hey, Walter, you ain't heard nothing yet. Who said that all the time? Who used to Who used to always say, you ain't heard nothing yet? You ain't heard a thing yet. No, it was not Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Now, who was it? It was another comic. Now, come on. Who was it who said that? Which reminds me, speaking of comedy, would you please bring some of that, uh, the ripe, hairy stuff? Sneak it in behind me. All set? Just sneak it in there. That's the kind of stuff we want. It's growing a little mold around the edges, see? And I want you to listen. I want you to listen careful. Up from the meadows, rich with corn, clear in the cool September morn, the clustered spires of Frederick stand, green-walled by the hills of Maryland. Round about them, orchards sweep, 
apple and peach tree fruited deep. Fair as the garden of the Lord to the eyes of the famished rebel horde. On that pleasant morn of the early fall when Lee marched over the mountain wall. Over the mountains winding down horse and foot into Fredericktown. Forty flags with their silver stars. Forty flags with their crimson bars flapped in the morning wind. The sun of noon looked down and saw not one. Up rose old Barbara Fritchie then, bowed with her fourscore years and ten. Bravest of all in Fredericktown, she took up the flag the men hauled down. In her attic window, the staff she set to show that one heart was loyal yet. Up the street came the rebel tread, Stonewall Jackson riding ahead. Under his slouched hat, left and right, he glanced. The old flag met his sight. Halt! The dust-brown ranks stood fast. Fire! Out blazed the rifle blast. It shivered the window, pane and sash. It rent the banner with seam and gash. Quick as it fell from the broken staff, Dame Barbara snatched the silken scarf. She leaned far out on the windowsill and shook it forth with a royal will. Shoot if you must, this old gray head, but spare your country's flag, she said. Oh, a shade of sadness, a blush of shame over the face of the leader came. Then when the summer sun shone hot on the new-mown hay in the meadow lot, and she heard the little spring brook fall over the roadside through the wall in the shade of the apple tree, again she saw a rider draw his vein, and gazing down with timid grace, she felt his pleased eyes read her face. Stop, hold it. Enough, 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 I say. Holy smokes. You know, I'm going to tell you something I don't think I've ever mentioned to anybody before. Can you ever imagine anybody taking that seriously? And, and <laughs> I mean, really taking that seriously? Maud Muller on a summer's day and the judge riding away to live in his garnished rooms and Maud marries this guy who was unlearned and poor and they had 48 kids running around the door and she would dream and he would dream. Well, let me tell you what happened to me. Oh, I, I'm, I'm so embarrassed. I'm really, you know, I, I always feel very envious of guys who when they're interviewed or when they're, when they're, talking about the great literary antecedents, the, the influences on their past, they say, oh, well, yes, uh, I was first influenced by Thomas Wolfe. And then after that, uh, Melville. I say that Melville probably more than a, but possibly with the possible exception of Conrad and maybe some of the lesser-known romantic German poets influenced my life. No. No. I was influenced by the books that my old man had in his bookcase. And one, the chief among them, was a turkey named the Canary Murder Case. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> I can remember. Yeah, he had, he had the complete works. Was there ever a writer? Now, I'm going to ask a... a uh, this is a literary question, and this is by way of a kind of a confession, I suppose. Did anyone ever hear of a writer who, what was his name now? My dad had his complete works. He was a fantastic fan of his. And um, he, he, 
he wrote the canary, a thing called the canary murder case. I remember that vividly. I had a picture of this yellow canary on the dust jacket. I will award the brass figligee with bronze oak leaf palm. If you, you mean you ever heard you've heard of the canary murder case? You read it? You mean you're not? I'm not alone in this? <laughs> well, I'm a little kid, say, and and this is the first real book I read. Up to this point, you know, I've been reading uh, uh, the Bobsy Twins at the farm, uh, things like uh, Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy. And one day I'm walking around the house and it's raining out. And uh, my mother, uh, she's like, oh, will you please get out of the kitchen? Will you stay out? I'm trying to get some work done. Yeah, there's nothing to do. Yeah, there's nothing to do. Ah. And she said, well, why don't you read? Why don't you go and read? I mean, it's, so it's raining. You, why don't you go and read? Yeah, I got nothing to read. Yeah. She says, look, we've got a whole bookcase full of books. Now, why don't you go and read something? Yeah. Well, up to that point, this bookcase full of books had nothing to do with my life and reading. It was, you know, books. It was my father and my mother's books. I had all these books, see? So she says, go into the, go into the, go in the dining room and get one of the books out. Why don't you read it? We've got a whole bookcase full of books. Don't tell me we don't have anything to read. So I go into the, I go into, <laughs> I go into the next room and I'm looking through these books and here is this one with this big yellow bird on it that had been there for, ever since I was a little kid, I can remember this book. The Canary Murder Case. And so, gee, you know, I've got, the, I've got the permission to read the book out of the bookcase. So I take this book, and I go in. I go into my bedroom. And the kid reads in the bedroom, and I turn on the light. I'm sitting there, and, and I remember the opening paragraphs. It, it hit me so much. This detective lived on Riverside Drive, fashionable Riverside Drive. It was described as, I remember, fashionable Riverside Drive, high among... Manhattan's sparkling, scintillating, mysterious canyons. And he is sitting in his study, and he is smoking imported Egyptian Reggie cigarettes. <laughs> and he has a manservant who keeps coming around and telling him that the, that the news is coming on in just a few moments and that they have received a mysterious phone call that something was going to be on the news tonight that would contain a message that would be highly important to this detective. I will award you the brass figligy. If you can tell me the name of the detective. Now, who was that? It was not, it was, and I'll give you a clue, it was not Sam Spade. I'll also give you a clue, it was not Humphrey Bogart. And, uh, <laughs> and from that minute on, was I hung on this guy? I mean, he had this, his, his powerful motor car, his powerful imported motor car purred ominously outside of his fashionable um, uh, Upper Riverside Drive apartment and his manservant. What was the name of his manservant? All right, what do you mean, come on? Everybody's talking about... Well, th these are the things that, that, uh, that are my... Uh, people keep writing me and say, well, what, uh, what influenced you in your early days? Well, I'm telling you. For at least, I would say, for at least six months as a kid... Now, get this. As a kid, for at least six months, I patterned my way of being on this detective. Just like, you know, a lot of kids holler Shazam and try to pretend like they're, they're Superman. I played like this detective. And I would say things like, uh, oh, such things like, uh, uh, well, of course, uh, you realize that uh, the wine from Alsatia is always a little impudent. I'd say that. 
<laughs> and I remember Flick and Bruno said, oh, what? What are you talking about? I said, well, but another thing, well, all the kids at that time, guys were experimenting with smoking, see? And everybody was sneaking out and stealing a package of Lucky Strikes, so they were going out and they'd, they'd save their nickels and they would sneak into to Aschenschlager's grocery store and they would buy a package of camels and tell them it's for their old man. I'm probably the only guy you ever know who saved up nickels for about four weeks to buy a package of Fatimas. Because <laughs> they had this picture of this dancing girl. <laughs> yeah. All right, what was the name of that detective? Mecca's. Never heard of him. Mecca's are those little flat candies. Speaking of Mecca, friends, this is WOR, your friendly, reliable fighting station. <laughs> your embattled station on this spot of the time. This is the John Gambling Station. And uh, we'll be here for a while. And that reminds me, we have a big note here, very official, this Thursday night. Now, look, I, I must have received about 50 letters in the past two or three days from people who say, how come I missed the show at the Middlesex High uh, Auditorium for Raritan Valley Hospital and so on, and that uh, we're going to have a big, wild, fantastic... Oh, I'm just going to tell you, it's just, it's, it's just going to be so exciting, so scintillating. I'm going to do, do my famous uh, vest pocket version of Electra. Uh, at Seton Hall, and it play, it's played in armor. Well, it's very good. I come on, I play Orestes, and then I play the king and the whole bit. And it's going to be Seton Hall University Student Union Building, and we're being brought over there by the radio station WSOU, which is their big radio station. And it's going to be Thursday, February 1st. That's this Thursday at 8.30. Tickets are at the door. So do not, do not uh, try to write or call. Tickets are sale, on sale, first come, first serve, and again repeat, the Student Union Building, Seton Hall. That's Thursday, February 1st, 8.30, WSOU. Well, <clears throat> have you noticed that not one guy got the name of that detective? It is not Sherlock Holmes, you klutz. Sherlock Holmes never, boy, he never had the, 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 the savoir faire that this guy had. And uh, he, he lived, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was in an apartment on Riverside Drive. Now, when you live in a, in a place like Hessville, Indiana, and you're a kid, and you read about fashionable, sparkling Manhattan, I just can't, <laughs> I'm serious, Walt, I just can't tell you what the word Manhattan does to somebody living in, say, Goshen, Indiana. It's, 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 like, it's like some kind of a rare herb. I'll tell you what it's like. Uh, there are certain words by their very nature are exciting. I'll give you some of those. Uh, here's an example. Uh, Arabia. Uh, isn't that an exciting word? How about this one? Uh, Trinidad. That's an exciting... How about this one? Zanzibar. Holy smokes, Zanzibar. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to be a member of the Zanzibar American Legion Post? Zanzibar. Uh, how about this one? Try this one on for size. How about uh, Port of Spain? Oh, I mean, Port of Spain. Uh, but, and, and there are several others, like Oahu, the island of Oahu. Those, uh, yeah, oh, one of the greatest of all words is, well, Dar es Salaam. I repeat. Can you give me a little echo chamber on that wall? Think of some of these great words. You could write a poem of nothing but e great words. Listen. Cartoon. Kilimanjaro. 
Mediterranean. Aegean Sea. Crete. Dar es Salaam. Timbuktu. Boy. I mean, think of those names. Well, now, you, 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 you get the feeling, see. Well, when the word Manhattan, and it, even to this day, it has that same peculiar, erotic, uh, subtle, glamorous, mysterious impact on a guy living in uh, Moose Cavity Tooth, Minnesota. <laughs> I, mean, you know, I mean, seriously, Manhattan. If you say I come from Flushing, well, come on, Flushing. Sounds like an ad for Babel, you know. Uh, if you say I come from from uh, Queens, is it Queens? Where's that Queens? And you say, well, Queens, Queens, New York. He says, is that near New York City? So Manhattan is a special thing. They even had songs that were always saying, Oh, I love Manhattan. La ta da ti ti ta 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 da ti. People go ape. In Chicago, when the when people sing those songs, you don't ever hear anybody say, "I love the Bronx, La Taratiti, Fordham Road, or the Grand Concourse in Spring." La ta no, there's a, the the picture of Manhattan. Always to me, when I was a little kid, was some kind of a. It was always night. I always saw Manhattan as night with all the buildings standing up and nothing but these magnificent lights everywhere and guys wearing evening suits and getting into long black limousines with Carol Lombard. And they're about to go to this fashionable place. It was like the first nighter. And the little theater off Times Square, the first nighter, once again arrives for another exciting first night in the theater. And you hear boop, 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 boop. Smoking in the outer lobby only plane. Smoking in the... And you say, good night, James. And he slams the door. Oh, wow. Holy smokes. Then there was this other one called Grand Central. There was another show on radio called Grand Central Station. Do you remember that one? The opening would come out. I... Well, you were the engineer on it, Walt? Holy smokes. I'm with a historical entity. What was it, called? Yeah, you were the sound effects? You mean you, you made the sound of those rails? Walt, why didn't you tell me? That's like sitting here with the guys as well. What do you mean, the Magna Carta? Who do you think gave the, who do you think gave the king the pen? I supplied the parchment. <laughs> well, I remember as a kid, my mother, she, all of her life, she had this thing, and still does. New York. She used to hang over the sink, and the sink would be coughing up coffee grounds and, and uh, apple cores at her. And my mother would always say, and the old man, you know, he's sitting at the kitchen table and he's sitting there in his, in his, in his long johns, you know, with half the buttons off and he's got a can of beer. And the, my mother is saying, the radio, always, the radio was playing with somebody like Lee Wiley singing on the air. She always has this cracked, decadent voice. There was something about New York and singing on the silver salver. I remember what a salver was. At the, <laughs> at the, he'd sit there at his evening dress, and little little did his his beautiful girlfriend, Ardella, or whatever her name was, little did she realize that neat, that magnificently tailored, that beautifully cut tuxedo, there was a set of deadly, deadly blue steel burglar tools. 
and he was waiting for the message. And they're sitting there carving the bird when suddenly the French waiter comes up and says, Wow, wow, for you, monsieur. And he hands him a card. And on the card is a simple pen-drawn cat's paw. And he whitens slightly. He says, thank you. And he hands him a note, a, a, a five-pound note as a tip, see, a note. And the waiter says, ah, merci, merci, monsieur. And off he goes. And then he looks across at his fair companion. And he says, you will excuse me for just a few minutes. I will return. There is a task I must take care of. Just something, just a small thing. And you will stay here, and Louis will see to it that the wine will continue to come. I will join you. And that's the way the first chapter would start. And eight chapters later, after he's been up and down the waterfront, and he's been fighting the, this, this fantastic bunch of hashish, drunk, evil people, he returns to the silver slipper. And he says, ah, I see. Well, we shall have another bottle now. And she had no idea that in the ensuing time he had been through veritable hell. Now, what was the character? He had an alter ego. Now, I'll give you this clue. He had an alter ego, Walt, this guy. And the alter ego was the guy that he would slip into when he decided to become a member of the underworld. He had a dual life. On the one hand, he was who? All right, is there, is there any listener out there can tell me the name of this, this fantastic character that I'm talking about? Oh, and I will give you one other important clue. It's a kid, you know, this really got a hold of me. One clue. Every time he would open a safe. Now, the only time he ever opened a safe was to, make, uh, was to catch the bad guys and so on. But every time he would open a safe, he had this, this, uh, this trademark. Hey, do you have any commercials in there? No, okay. He would have this trademark, and he would leave this trademark beside the knob on the safe. And the trademark was what? It was not a scarab. A gray seal. The gray seal. Yes, a diamond-shaped gray seal. And I remember the inspector and the sergeant of police would say, The gray seal. We don't have a chance. He struck again. And what was the name? His name, I'll, I'll tell you in case you're interested, his name was Jimmy Dale. But what was the name of the character? He had a character he played when he was down on the waterfront. What was the name of the character? Come on. And, and by the way, the character that he played was a completely depraved, totally drug-crazed dope fiend. Those days they call him dope fiends. He was a dope fiend. What was his name? And he would assume this character. He would he would go into he would go into the into the dressing room at the club, and all of a sudden this awful person would come come out, and they would throw him out. They didn't know it was him. And he would go down the street with his cap and his shifty eyes, and he was known to everybody in the underworld as this dope fiend. What was his name? That's the guy that I always play. Now, I'll give you this. I never play Jimmy Dale when I'm out. I always play this depraved, drug-crazed dope fiend who is known in every dive on the waterfront. What was the guy's name? Anybody know? 
All right. Well, those are the antecedents. Those are the things that make you what you are. <laughs> and, and, oh, one more thing. He, too, had a manservant. They always had manservants. I'll never forget the time I said to Schwartz, I said, Hey, Schwartz, how would you like to be my manservant? And uh, you be my manservant, and I'll be the gay man about town. So I am manservant. What you, what's a manservant? I said, well, you hold my coat, and you put it on. You bring me the wine. You, you, can, you can open my knee-high orange. <laughs> uh, don't tell me somebody's calling in and knows it. Well, hang loose, friends. These are the things of which Maud Muller's life is made. And don't forget Barbara Fritchie, friends. Oh, yes. Hail not. Yes, harm this old gray head, but leave the flag unfurled. Hang loose. Think good thoughts. It'll work out. <laughs> Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. After the holidays, a little cash goes a long way. The Chime checking account has tons of benefits to help, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of fee-free ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today at chime.com goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members of FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from Bayer.